Have you ever found yourself drifting or dreaming along, following some or even all the practices of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but without coming to really know and apply the principles for yourself? Today, we will discuss the power available to women and men when we make the conscious choice to direct our lives along the gospel path, obeying in faith and receiving our own revelation to know the true doctrine for ourselves and to be a light for others. Hello, and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the inspiring stories and teachings of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Carly Guyman, and I'm here with Shaylin Back. We are your co-hosts. Thanks so much for joining us. Our discussion today is based on the life and teachings of Sister Ardeth Cap. She was the general president of the Young Women's Organization from 1984 to 1992. And we are so glad today to welcome as our guest another former Young Women General President, Sister Bonnie Oscarson. Welcome, Sister Oscarson. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. For those joining us for the first time, in this season of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, we're learning from women featured in the book At the Pulpit. And it's a compilation of short biographies and discourses given by Latter-day Saint women throughout our history. And you can follow along. It's available in the Gospel Library app under Church History. And we recognize that many of you maybe haven't heard of At the Pulpit or haven't read it or read the discourse that we're discussing today, but don't worry. We think that you'll really enjoy the conversation and learn about Ardeth Cap and our guest, Bonnie Oscarson. So we want to first introduce um, Bonnie Oscarson, and she was so sweet before, and she said, please call me Bonnie. <laughs> Absolutely. So with your permission, we will call you Bonnie. And then we'll get into our discussion of Ardeth Cap and her teaching, specifically from a 1980 BYU Women's Conference talk called Drifting, Dreaming, and Directing. So we're really excited to hear Bonnie's thoughts and insights on this topic. We love Bonnie so much. She was the 14th president of the General Young Women Organization from 2013 just till 2018. So this is very recent for us. She was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and moved often. She lived five different places across the United States before attending BYU. She met her husband, Paul Oscarson, in far west Missouri, and she mentioned before they met at the um, temple at site. the temple site at far west. Yeah, she didn't think that was very exciting, but we thought it was. It's yeah. just out in the middle of nowhere, so it, that makes it unusual because how do you, how do you meet someone there? <laughs> right. There was something going on that day. <laughs> yes, definitely. They married in the Salt Lake Temple, and then they moved near Paul's hometown in St. Louis, Missouri. She has a degree in British and American literature, and she served in various callings in the church, including as an early morning seminary teacher for nine years. The Oscarsons have lived in Missouri, Sweden, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Texas, and Utah. They have seven children, five daughters and two sons, and 29 fascinating grandchildren. I added that. <laughs> Why do you that say word. fascinating? Because there's such a variety of personalities, and they are fascinating to me. <laughs> Grandchildren are somehow more fascinating than your own children. <laughs> so I have a question, too. As we were going through your biography, we learned that you served with your husband as he was called to preside over the Sweden... Yutabori. Yutabori mission. mission. And this was in Thank 1976. <laughs> mm -hmm. But okay, tell us about this experience. How old were you? This is crazy. I was 25 at the time. And... So there was no one more surprised than my husband and I when we received that call. His brother had been called to serve in the Stockholm Sweden mission in 1975. So when, um, when we got the phone call asking if we would be willing to serve as mission president, it made no sense. Sweden was taken. You know, so why would they even approach? My husband was 29 at the time. 
But what they did was they ended up dividing Sweden in half. And so we had the western and southern portion and his brother. So you we, shared it with we his shared, brother. We shared Sweden uh, together during that two-year period. At the time, President Spencer W. Kimball wanted young couples in Europe. And that was why when we'd say, why us? You know, there's so many people that are more experienced and older and have more wisdom. And they said President Kimball wants young families serving in Europe right now. Well, and I think you've said before, some of the missionaries were older than you. We had one missionary that was older than my husband. Oh, we had wow. lots that were older than me. <laughs> the sisters were about my age. And you had how many children at this time? We took with us four, including a newborn, and then we had a fifth over there. Such a unique it experience. It was a unique experience. And, and I was not your typical mission president's wife because I was at home. And they said, you're not the mission mom. We're not, tell your missionaries they're not to guide the mission mom. And I was, they said, your first priority is to stay home and be with your children. And so that's what I did. In the summertime when they were out of school, I could travel around. It was a small mission. It wasn't real huge. So it was a different experience than a lot of mission presidents have. Oh, certainly. That's incredible. So you became proficient in Swedish during this time. I don't know if you'd call it proficient. (laughs) I I studied Swedish and I learned to speak Swedish. I could understand it pretty well. It was when we were called to go back 30 years later as temple president and matron in the Stockholm Temple that my Swedish skills really were honed because then I was much more of a participant. I had to train workers and conduct preparation meetings, and that's when my Swedish really that is amazing. Bloom better. Mm-hmm. It's still not that perfect. Is. And then it was just a couple months after returning from serving as mm-hmm. temple matron with your husband that you were called to the Yeah, Omens. I think we've been home three months when I received the phone call. And can it's you good. share a little bit how that came about? Because I, I feel like you've said before it wasn't, you hadn't served on a board. It, I, I don't, I think I was way out of the box kind of personality to do that. Most of the other women who have been called had served on a general board and then in a presidency often as a counselor and then called in, you know, as the president. And I had never served on the general level at all. So I had no idea what this was all about. I had participated in a focus group and I didn't even know what a focus group was, you know. (laughs) And so when my husband and I walked into the room and saw the whole first presidency sitting there, I really had not had any intimations of what was going on. Some people know things like that ahead of time, and I usually <laughs> don't. I don't. But President Monson said, we'd like to call you to be the Young Women General President, and I just burst into tears. It was so unexpected, and I said, President Monson, I don't know anything about how to do this. And he said, well, of course not. We just barely called you. <laughs> but the Lord makes up the difference when we are lacking something and that's my testimony of that, is is that he steps in and helps. And I had an experience shortly after I was called and before I was sustained when I was just feeling overwhelmed with the thought of what I'd been asked to do. I'd have these moments of crisis that I'd say, and I said, Heavenly Father, how am I going to do this? I don't know how I'm going to do this. And it was one of those moments when I had a voice come into my head that I knew was not my own, that I knew was coming through the Spirit. And he said, I will help you. And I said, but why? And he said, because this is my work. And that experience before I was ever sustained is kind of what carried me through. Oh, this is not my work. This is his work. And he has said he would help me with it. And my testimony is that I was out of my comfort zone 90% of the time, but he always came through. He was always there to help me. I'm sure I made mistakes. I'm sure I said the wrong thing at times. I'm sure I wasn't always what I should be, but I don't think I ever blew it because he helped me. So we want to jump now into discussing Ardeth Cap, 
um, who you have some similarities with. You shared this very unique calling with her, right? She served at this different time, but you shared this together. And you also have a few personal experiences or insights with Ardeth Cap. Can you share kind of how you know her or the interactions that you've had with her and your impressions of her? I can't claim to have been a close friend of hers beforehand, <laughs> but my mother was called to serve as a member of the Young Women General Board when Ruth Funk was the Young Women General President and Ardeth Cap was her counselor. And so my mother got to know Ardeth. There was one point at time in which I uh, was living in St. Louis, but I was in Salt Lake on a visit, and my mother made the arrangements for me to visit, and by then Ardeth was the Young Women General President. And so she set up an appointment, so I went to visit her in her office. She welcomed me so warmly, and she took like a half an hour to sit down and visit with me about my calling and to give me encouragement, and she was just so warm and personal. And that visit stayed with me when I later became the president, that the importance of giving attention and time and love to individuals, that that's what this is all about. So to kind of back up just a little bit, Ardeth Cap was the Young Women General President from 1984 to 1992, and she was born in 1931, so she's now 88 years old. Um, she's still living. And she grew up in a really small rural town mm -hmm. in Canada. And I remember in reading her biography and at the pulpit, so impressed with her parents, these extremely hardworking, faithful, but very giving farmers and small business owners. And Ardith met her husband. He was actually serving in Canada, his mission, and serving in their ward, and she became acquainted with him. And then she later moved to Utah to finish high school, and they continued mm -hmm. getting to know each other and were married shortly after when she was 19. She worked for a telephone company, quickly progressed, worked in a position that was the highest available position for a woman at that time, and she and her husband were not able to have children so throughout their life and at that time, they sought to learn lessons. This is what the biography said that children would have taught them, patience and tolerance and charity. And this also influenced Ardeth to become an educator. So she went back to school and received a bachelor's degree at the age of 33 and then a master's degree in education. And then she did a whole myriad of things. She taught elementary school. She supervised student teachers. She wrote TV programs and books. And then she eventually became involved in reviewing and planning church curriculum. And then, as you mentioned, she served as a counselor in the Young Women's General Presidency to Ruth Hardy Funk. And then in 1984 was when she was called as the president of the Young Women's Organization. An incredible woman that we're excited to talk more about today. So we'll just dive right in. If you want to share one of the things that she and her presidency did, they were instrumental in developing the Young Women's Program. And so Tell us from your perspective and your experience, what was accomplished through this program and how has it strengthened young women all over the world as it's been in place? Well, I, because I'm so much older than you two, <laughs> I remember what the Young Women program was before. We, we set goals and did that kind of thing, but the focus was more on self-improvement and you know some of the areas of focus were like nature and recreation and arts and education and social development and they kept track of your attendance at church and if you had given a talk once during the year and that was not a bad program but in 1989 is really when the big changes took place with Sister Cap and her presidency when they had a whole different vision and rather than it being on how can the young women improve themselves? It was how can we help them develop a greater spirituality, relationship with the Savior, be disciples of Christ. It became centered around gospel principles more and less about nature and recreation you know, and education. Mm -hmm. But 
how do we get the gospel into their hearts? So that's when the personal progress program with goal setting, this I think they had seven values originally that they came up with, and, and it was revised mm-hmm. through the years. But that basic program that she and her presidency helped develop and receive as revelation for the young women has been with us for 30 years has and has had a tremendous impact on de- the development of the young women. We're at an interesting time right now because we're facing a big change in the youth program and in the youth development program. I have to say that one of her defining characteristics is that she would be behind that 100%. She would, see, even though this has been in effect for 30 years and she was one of the geniuses behind helping to develop that, she would be the first to say, I believe in continuing revelation. And I believe that what the current presidency is and first presidency is going to present is the inspiration for the youth today. It's what they need today. There's a quote from her address that she said, when changes come and they always will, for some it may be a test to survive because their foundation is based on practices alone without an understanding of the eternal unchanging principles, such as revelation. She believed this is a church of revelation. And I love that you said she would just be behind this 100%. And, I know and I'm she sure she be is. Because that's what she has conveyed to me several times. In her talk, it's a it's a major message that she wants us to have faith in Jesus Christ and not just be faithful, not just go to church. It's very easy to drift. She uses the word drift. So she emphasizes this need for us to understand and live the principles of the gospel and not just practices or traditions. So Bonnie, what to you, what's the difference between being faithful to traditions and practices and then developing real faith in Jesus Christ and his gospel? What does that look like? And what are the blessings of that? I love that part of her talk where she talks about the importance of not getting so hung up on the the traditions of the church that we miss that really what's important are the principles of the gospel. And yesterday I was in my daughter's sacrament meeting because it was their primary program and we had two grandchildren in the program. And I'm sitting here observing this primary program that is a tradition in the church. It is a great tradition, but the best part of the program is when those primary children stand up at the microphone and bear testimony of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ was resurrected. I believe in Jesus Christ. And those are the principles that are important. It's not the primary program. It's not the tradition that's important. It is the testimony that those young children are developing of their Savior and of the gospel itself and understanding the principles deeper. That's the important thing. And if we get too hung up on the traditions, we are going to freak out when changes are made or when a tradition Mm -hmm. changes. Mm -hmm. But the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that the Lord has laid out, they don't change. President Nelson talked about the five truths where he said, there is such a thing as truth. Truth is truth. And the Lord is the one who determines what truth is. So he gave the, you know, five points Mm -hmm. of truth. And then he said, as our prophet, he blesses us with the capacity to receive further revelation. We all believe in revelation. That is a principle of the gospel that will not change. Mm -hmm. And we're so blessed to have a prophet that receives revelation for everybody, but that we can have that same gift for ourselves. It's incredible. And I love the way he described revelation. I think sometimes the church thinks, He has a vision and he's told something, but what he described about the process of the policy that was hard to work through and how they went through and prayed about it and received this answer, let's do this. And then they found that people were weeping. And he said, when God's children weep, so do we. And so they went back and re-examined it. Sometimes revelation is a gradual process. It's like 
the restoration, and we keep hearing talks and statements, Elder Utdorf's talk about are you sleeping through the restoration, where he says that in reality the restoration is an ongoing process. We are living in it right now. It includes all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and that many great and important things that he will yet reveal. The process of revelation isn't always real straightforward. This is how it's going to be. Sometimes you have to go down the wrong road to know that was the wrong road and maybe go back. Not that that was the wrong road. It was just part of the process, Mm -hmm. but that he was open about that. And Mm -hmm. Revelation is personal, even for the first presidency. I love that you brought up Elder Ugdorf's talk about sleeping through the restoration because it does go perfectly with Ardeth Cap's message, how mm-hmm. she talks about dreaming. She says our greatest dreams as women, they'll only be fulfilled as we come to understand fully and experience the blessings of the priesthood, the power of the priesthood and the ordinances of the priesthood in our lives. I'm really grateful that you want to talk about the priesthood because that was one of the points in this talk that stood out to me very strongly. The discussion of women and how they relate to the priesthood and what our, uh, how we draw upon the power of the priesthood has been an issue that has been discussed a lot in the last few years, and rightfully so. I think it's interesting to me that in 1980, she chose to talk about the importance of women understanding the priesthood and how it in- impacts their life. It is important that women understand that we draw upon the power of the priesthood because of the priesthood covenants we've all made every bit as much as any man in the church does. There's a wonderful book that was written by, um, it was actually written by Joseph Smith. <laughs> it's called The Beginning of Better Days. It has the minutes from the first meetings of the Review Society when it was first organized in Nauvoo. But there are two essays at the beginning of this book, one written by Virginia Pierce and one written by Sherry Dew. The one written by Virginia Pierce touched me so deeply when I read it because she talks about how the priesthood has affected her and how she views the priesthood. And if I could just share something that she wrote, she talks about when her husband passed away. And she said, I'd always had the priesthood in my life, my father first, you know, President Hinckley, and then her husband who held the priesthood. And I think there was some concern, would she still feel the power of the priesthood in her life? And this is what she said, beyond that, for me, one of the most stunningly powerful discoveries of living alone is the absolutely overwhelming sense I have of being protected and cared for. I feel the Lord's presence in every corner of my home. I feel his power in every decision of my life. I feel guided and comforted and loved. Now, what is this if not what has come to me because of the power of the priesthood? His power. I believe he is available and present in my life because of the covenants I have been privileged to make, first in the waters of baptism and finally within the walls of holy temples. Priesthood power doesn't come because you have hands laid on your head and you're ordained to hold the priesthood. Priesthood power comes because of the covenants we make with our Heavenly Father that are priesthood covenants that we can receive because of the priesthood power. And I love that Sister Cap talks about every man, woman, child of the church can draw on the power of the priesthood. We've had some magnificent talks given to us because of this discussion in recent years. Sister Burton gave one at BYU Women's Conference on the priesthood. That was a great talk. Let's see if I can uh, remember the name. Oh, she, it was called Priesthood Power Available to All, and you can find that online. Then Elder Ballard gave one a couple months later and called Let Us Think Straight. It was at a BYU devotional. There are books being written with these minutes. If I, Sister Pierce talks about going back and studying these minutes to understand that Joseph Smith was directing the women of the church towards the temple, which was about to be finished, and they were about to receive their endowments. And so I want to go back and study those minutes again now and find the temple. 
throughout the because that's what she says is there. Then there was a talk by Elder Oaks, given President Oaks now, given in April of 2014 that I think changed the way we talk about the priesthood and women completely. Absolutely. I'd never heard mm-hmm. words like that, and it just it kind of expanded so greatly where he talked about if sister missionaries who are called and set apart by someone with priesthood keys, if they're not acting with priesthood authority, what, what kind of authority is it? Is yeah. it? <laughs> that when we have a calling in the church that we've been set apart by someone who holds priesthood keys to f- function, we are functioning with priesthood power as women. And that was something we became convinced we needed to teach our young women because I don't think they see themselves often as mm-hmm. as functioning with priesthood power. But if they are in a young women class presidency and a member of the bishopric has set them apart with priesthood keys, they are functioning in that calling with priesthood power. And in addition to being set apart, the other priesthood power we receive comes from our covenants that we make mm-hmm. and, and beginning so, at baptism yep, mm-hmm. that we make at baptism. And she just lists all these things. And she says for us to close our eyes to these eternal truths and not recognize them as priesthood blessings and ordinances is to keep us on the fringe area of the very saving principles. The only principles that can make our eternal dreams come true. And I thought that was incredible because she said, you know, all these blessings of the priesthood we have every day and they're all around us and don't close your eyes to them. Mm-hmm. Every single week, we have the opportunity, all of us as members of the church, to partake of the sacrament and to renew those covenants that are priesthood power, whether it's just baptism for the younger people or when we partake of the sacrament, we're renewing all of our covenants, including the ones we made in the temple. And that is where priesthood power comes from. We're promising, I will stand as a witness of Jesus Christ. I will keep his commandments. I will live up to the covenants I have made. And that gives us power. That gives us priesthood power. It was in your final general conference talk last year that you called upon the leaders of the church across the world to help prepare young women for missions and other leadership opportunities, including serving as mothers, which is a priesthood responsibility to increase their involvement in the work of salvation. So why you've shared a little bit about this, but why do you feel so passionately about this? And how are we doing a year and a half later? How how are we doing? I'll tell you where this kind of started with our presidency because it did become a main theme kind of for us and something we recognized that was needed. I was in a meeting once, Elder Oaks was conducting, and we were having a discussion about how the young men pass the sacrament each week to the members of the ward and how it's a highly visible kind of thing to see these young men performing a priesthood function and representing the Savior really in offering the sacrament. And Elder Oaks kind of stopped the meeting and turned to me and he said, what do the young women have in their lives that gives them a sense that they are doing something important in the kingdom too? Like these young men have this very visible thing that the church members see them doing each week. And I was I was stumped. I couldn't think of anything. You know? I mean, when you're addressed by a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, it kind of blows your brain anyway. But um, you know, <laughs> I honestly didn't have an answer. So we went back. I went back, and as a presidency, we started talking about it. And we realized that we needed to make sure that the young women of the church knew that they were as needed and that they had as much to offer as the young men. And it may not be as visible. It may not be a priesthood assignment that they're standing up in front of the ward. But that really became an emphasis that we had the last few years of our presidency. So when it came time for me to give that final conference talk, that was the easiest one I ever had and that is a hard thing to do is to write a conference. <laughs> that was the easiest one I ever wrote because we had been talking about it for the last few for years. years. So, Bonnie, both you and 
Art of Cap have taught that conversion comes by having the faith to take steps of obedience when we don't always know the outcome or the proof of the truth. And I think there are some women that are struggling, um, you know, to, to stay on the path or they're struggling to take the first step and to try out their faith. So what to you, what is the difference between faith and blind obedience and how can we gain more faith to direct our lives? I think that that was the first part of her talk, mm-hmm. not drifting, is an important one. I think we're all in a different place in our lives as far as where our faith is. Some of us are further along than others, but, and we start out as children with a certain amount of blind obedience. We're, we're trusting our parents that what they're teaching us is true, and we're just, we're drifting a little bit because we're doing the traditions of the church, we're, because our parents are teaching us that that's what's right. But there comes a point in our lives, and she points that out, that we have to go deeper. We have to dig deeper because if we don't, we'll continue to just drift and and there's too much of a chance we just drift off to the edges as she describes. Mm-hmm. She describes the behaviors that we need. It's, it takes effort to move from blind obedience to faith and to having faith in the principles. And she describes them very clearly in her talk when she talks about what the sons of Mosiah had to do mm-hmm. on their mission. They fasted and they prayed. Well, are we fasting and praying? Are we pondering? Are we into the scriptures? Are we making that a regular part? Is it a part of our our life? Is it a deep part of our life? She talks about the behaviors, and it takes effort to develop faith. It's not just going to happen. We can't move past blind faith without making the effort to really involve ourselves in the gospel. I like what she said, too, about I think especially women can start just creating to-do lists, right? Mm -hmm. In order for me to have more faith, I need to do all of these different things, and I need to do them every day, and I need to schedule them. She said that developing faith doesn't necessarily come by hurrying faster, but it comes by hurrying less and focusing on the fundamentals. And so I think we can take a step back, and we can focus on what are the most important things for me to do. What lack I yet. Yeah, to really develop faith and to to connect. And that's the directing part of her time. Mm-hmm. At some point, you've got to take charge and start directing your own course of life. Yes. What am I lacking? What am I missing in my testimony? For me, it's how do I minister better? I'm, yeah. I don't feel like I'm a very good minister at this point, you know, so. I think there's a lot of women that relate, Bonnie. It's true. <laughs> so an art of capture, I love how she says it's relatively easy to be faithful because I think as children, as you mentioned, we get into these habits of attending church and many times doing family home evenings and they come more of habitual practices. Mm-hmm. But then to have faith, we have to get to know Jesus Christ. We have to know the doctrine. We have to study and fast and pray and meditate and sacrifice and serve. She gives all of these things, but she says, our father is anxious to feed us just as fast as we can handle it. But we regulate the richness and the volume of our spiritual diet. Isn't that a great statement? We regulate. Yeah. We regulate. Lots of messages of personal responsibility Mm -hmm. here. There are. One of the things that jumped out at me in this uh, area too was that as mothers, sometimes we see our children going through the traditions and the motions, and this kind of goes back to the drifting part she talks about, and we assume our kids are okay. And what I see happening too often with our youth is we assume they're doing okay because they're attending church, they're going to seminary. They're showing um, up. They're showing up. Mm -hmm. 
are we teaching them to take charge of their spirituality too? Are they having spiritual experiences or are they just drifting? Mm -hmm. Are they just going through the motions of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? If we don't sit down and have discussions with our children to see where they're at spiritually, we may assume they're okay when they're really just drifting. And we have to know if they're feeling the spirit in their lives. We have to know if they're putting effort into their scripture study to really understand the principles of the gospel and then applying those principles to their life. I thought her theme of drifting was really a current concern because our kids are being exposed to all kinds of information that we as parents can't control these days with their cell phones and with the internet. So we have got to stay involved in that spiritual development with them, not just our own, but with them too, mm-hmm. to make sure they're just not going through the motions. Mm-hmm. I teach youth Sunday school mm-hmm. in my ward, and it's been interesting. You know, They had a, a different curriculum before the adults mm-hmm. did, but this emphasis on what are you learning at home? Mm-hmm. You share with me, what are you learning? Oh, it's so inspired. It's such a great direction for us to be going, and I think you're going to see that shift continue, home-centered, church-supported. And goal setting for our youth is going to be more of a family. At least that's what we're talking about. If I haven't changed it a great deal, more of a family-centered program of what does our family need to set as goals and how do we work on this together Mm -hmm. and what do you need as a youth? So Ardeth Cat, from her perspective as the General Young Women President, she says it's our responsibility to be obviously good and obviously right as women of the church and be able to articulate our values and be an advocate for truth. And I love that she says that. And we just want to hear from your experience leading the women and especially um, the young women in the church for five years. What is your hope and dream for Latter-day Saint women and what counsel or guidance would you share with us? Sometimes I think, and I see this even among my five daughters, and I think it's a temptation for all of us. We want to be like the world. We want to get involved in the things we see on social media, that, you know, the way your home is decorated, the exercises program, keeping your body looking a certain way, what you do with your children, the kinds of activities and all. But the Lord has asked us to be a peculiar people. He doesn't want us to look like the world. And I gave a talk once to the youth where I went and looked up the word peculiar because kids don't want to be peculiar. That's the last mm-hmm. thing they want to be is different and weird. But the word peculiar, if you go back and look up what the meaning looked like when they translated the King James Version of the Bible, was somebody chosen and set apart by the Lord. It wasn't weird. It was select and righteous. And I think that we need to be careful with all of these outside influences that are so present around us all the time as women of the church to be what the Lord wants us to be and to be different than what the world looks like. Because if we're not, we're not going to have an impact and influence on the rest of the world. He wants us to stand out. He wants us to to be an influence in the world. I had an experience when my seven children were pretty close in age. And we were just moving from Massachusetts to Texas. And a neighbor that I didn't even know very well took me aside and she said, I want to ask you a really personal question. She said, your kids are so good. They're so unaffected. And my kids were not perfect. And she didn't see the flaws in them. Okay, I'm not trying. But she said, what is it that makes your kids good kids? And I had a chance to say to her, I will tell you, (laughs) it's not me. It is the church we belong to, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think I gave her a copy of For the Strength of Youth and, you know, um, every resource I could find. I said, we have guidelines to teach our children and that help us 
keep them on a good track, and they're not perfect and all, but they are good kids because of the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the invitation to be a disciple of Christ. And what does that look like? If you say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I witness of his divine nature, what do I look like if I'm a believer, if I'm a disciple? I'm going to dress differently. I'm going to act differently. I'm not going to participate in a lot of the things that the other youth are. Well, it's the same for the women of the world. We have got to decide what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like for the women of the world. And I loved... Sister Cap kind of clarified that what really distinguishes us from others is that we are guided by revelation. Can I just read a quote then yes, um, that goes along with that by, by President Nelson? When he talked about the fact that we're living in a time when we need that personal revelation, he said, if we are to have any hope of sifting through the myriad of voices and the philosophies of men that attack truth, we must learn to receive revelation. And later on in that same talk, he said, but in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. That personal revelation becomes essential in working our way through this world and knowing what things the Lord wants us to do. We don't have to be the same, but he does want us to keep that higher standard of spirituality. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your unique perspectives and, and all the insights you have, especially, I mean, related to this talk and, and through your service to the church. We really appreciate you being here today. It's been a joy, and I loved getting into this talk. I hope everybody will start mm -hmm. just pouring through these talks and reading them and studying them. I hope so, too. I sent this one in particular to a bunch of my friends just because it was so powerful mm -hmm. to me. So yeah. we invite our listeners to follow along as well and use these talks to share with your family and your friends and in your lessons and in your personal personal study. Again, you can find it on the Gospel Library app under Church History, but also at churchhistorianspress.org. And we would love to know what you think about this podcast and any questions or comments you have. You can always email us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. And again, we thank listeners for tuning into this episode with Bonnie Oscarson. And we would so appreciate if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a rating or a review. Share this episode and others with your friends. And again, thanks for listening. Thank you.